we're light years behind the industry. So the idea that somehow we're just going to move some chess pieces around and, you know, end up pretty much status quo, I think is ridiculous. It's unacceptable. Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman Captain David Campbell. Today, we'll be talking about negotiations. To do that, I brought in MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, Vice Chairman Joe Youngerman, Negotiating Committee Chairman Chris Gruner, and Strategic Planning Committee Chairman Ronan O'Donohue. Will, we've reached a bit of a crossroads in a decision path in the negotiation process. What uh, is going on? If you could maybe bring us up to speed on where we are today. Okay. Yep. I think that's certainly a good place to start, but maybe go backwards a little bit and kind of remind pilots about how long this process has been going on and where we started. And then again, where we are today and what the path forward really does kind of look like. And as most pilots here are aware, you know, we've been in direct negotiations with the company since June, yeah, June of 2019. And while we have made some progress on lower tier issues, there really hasn't been adequate, well, really any material progress in several key areas that the pilots have identified as critical in negotiations. If you could just remind us what those priorities are. Well, the pilot priorities are clearly identified in the opener that we published back in November of 2019, and they really have not changed materially as we've moved since that time period through polling, direct feedback to your reps, through the direct input that we've received at the West Coast Cookout Tour, you know, other coffee sits, opportunities to have and engage with pilots. Those priorities have, have absolutely been indelible. They haven't moved an inch. Thanks, Will. And I think another thing we're hearing, uh, common sentiment among pilots, that the, the next contract is long overdue. So tell me, what's are the sticking points right now? Well, I think if any pilot would tell you key sticking points, key priorities that have been identified that remain and have not been addressed adequately have to do with job security and scope, right? And also the other really important issues of work rules and scheduling, scheduling flexibility in particular. Yeah, and even on the lower tier items there, Will, um, we've gotten closer, but there's still a lot of things that are open that uh, should be relatively easy to close, especially if we look around the industry and if uh, the company's interested in modernizing our contract and getting it aligned with uh, what we see across the rest of the industry. Yeah, and I think that's a very valid point that you really don't have to look too far other than to look at other properties, other contracts to see exactly where that gap is and where it needs to close. That's the most frustrating part. Yeah, even like you said, well, beyond those lower tier items, we still haven't made material progress on the items that are most important to you. Uh, unfortunately, the company has been unwilling to engage constructively on your job security and then on scheduling it's been frustrating we've made progress in some areas but then the company backtracks and in others we haven't seen really a, a willingness to engage constructively to get again that market light contract that you guys have told us that you expect well and it's that stagnation in negotiations that led to moving the mec meeting up to the early part of august to discuss plans to move this thing forward, which led to the meeting with Chief Operating Officer Constance Van Mulen and CFO Shane Tackett with um, 
obviously Will, you were there, Joe and and Chris. Yeah, and, and before we get into the details of that meeting, I think I do want to point back to the MEC meeting because the MEC meeting was a very active discussion on a number of key topics, but it focused a lot on negotiations and moving this process along. Uh, and really what we're about to talk about with the, the next steps with having facilitated discussions and, and this piece of it is just but phase one of a multi-tiered plan that your MEC approved. So I think it's important for pilots to remember that before we, uh, we get too into the weeds on the discussion here. And so what did you convey to them in that meeting? Well, there were a number of goals um, and a number of points that we really wanted to convey very strongly. And I guess maybe the best way to put it was the meeting was designed to be a little bit of a reality check and to have a conversation about how we move forward and to make sure that they clearly understood a few points about this negotiating cycle. Um, you know, obviously we made the point that our, our progress at the table is completely inadequate to date. And there's been plenty of time for us to constructively problem solve and find a path forward and that hasn't happened. And maybe while we avoided finger pointing along those lines, we definitely had the conversation that the pilot's needs and the things that it are going to need to be in this contract in order for us to move forward are not able to be characterized as non-negotiable, non-starters. The pilots have identified a number of key areas and concerns, and every one of those problems, if you will, that we've identified need to be addressed. And probably one of the bigger overarching messages on this is that this is not a negotiating cycle in which we're going to turn around and window dress or tune up the current CBA. This is going to be a new market agreement. This isn't painting the house. This is building an entirely new house. And as I said in the chairman's letter, it's going to come with a little bit of a cost. And the company needs to get their, their heads around that element that we are long overdue for a market contract. And I'm sure that uh, you know both Chris and, and Joe have their own um, recollections about the meeting that they'd like to share too. So I guess I'd kind of open it up and say, Joe, what, what other points do you think we need to stress were made there? Yeah, I think especially in regards to issues like scope and work rules, when you're on your own 10 yard line, uh, you're not interested in small plays here. I mean, we, we, by virtually every metric in those two areas, we trail the industry and especially with regards to scope, we're light years behind the industry. So the idea that somehow we're just going to move some chess pieces around and end up pretty much status quo, I think is ridiculous. It's unacceptable. The company's crowing about their profitability this last quarter or, the, or their, their margins this last quarter being best in the industry. They came out of this pandemic with less debt than they went into it. We saved them tens of millions of dollars through the leave program that we convinced them to do versus putting people on the street, which would have cost them all that extra money. So it rings hollow when they're coming to us now saying, well, you know, times are tough. We had record losses, so on and so forth. I think we made it very clear that we're not interested in, in excuses at this point, especially with regards to, to scope. This pilot group is a sophisticated group. We all know what's out there. We all know that what we're asking for isn't we're not breaking new ground. We're not going into space here. This is all tried and true. And it's been tested. It hasn't impeded other carriers from growing their airlines. 
Southwest has robust scope. They're extraordinarily successful. So all these management excuses are just that. And we need to see real progress in this CBA. Yeah. And along those lines, Joe, we made it clear that as we work to achieve those goals and look towards the future, that we have no interest in delaying this. So uh, NMB mediation can often take years, and which is one of the reasons why we propose this private mediation. So in this case, we're, uh, we'll talk more about it in a minute, but we're not interested in uh, delay. And if the company attempts to do that, we're just not going to make it comfortable for them as uh, we seek to achieve your goals in a timely manner. And I think one of the other things that we made very clear, too, is that we've come in very strongly with the pilot's expectations and needs identified and everything that we have passed at the negotiating table, and that this isn't a, a give and take kind of a negotiating cycle. It's, that's not how this is going to work. We absolutely need to address these these concerns that the pilots have highlighted. These are their priorities and that we will not get there without addressing those priorities materially. So, Will, you were doing most of the talking at that meeting, right? Yeah, for the most part. I, I did most of the talking and then uh, obviously got the input as as it was germane to the discussion from, from Chris and right. from Joe. Right. So, Joe, if you were in listening mode, you probably had a good vantage to get a perception of, you know, what, what was said and how the company reacted. What, what did you observe? Uh, I think Chris and Will both did a very good job of, of expressing the expectation of this pilot group on the next CBA. I, I don't think uh, there was any ambiguity there. And, and I, th you know, whether or not management really understands that is, is another question, of course. There was some discussion about, uh, with respect to scope, some of the things that we were asking for might be uh, not pilot friendly, but I think these are not new concepts. They've been proven in the industry. Of course, we know that pilots have benefited uh, from scope language, and there have been pilot groups that have suffered from a lack of it. I know that from my own personal experience. And it's it's really not up to management to decide what's what's best for the pilots. It's up for the up to the pilots to decide what's best for them. And of course, they express their opinions through polling and, and to their reps. And, you know, this is all wargamed out at the MEC meetings and, and through our uh, negotiating efforts. It's not something where we don't understand what, what it is we're putting on the table. We fully understand it and, and know that uh, this, is, this is what our pilots want. Yeah, I think one of the more frustrating observations was the, the notion that they didn't understand how some of the pieces when it comes to scheduling flexibility, for example, fit together or how they work. And I guess that's one point that I kind of want to drive home to. And I drove home in that meeting as well, is that, you know, we have been extensively researching, collaborating, talking to our peer airlines to understand exactly what the impact of our proposals are and what they are designed to achieve and whether or not that meets, again, the, the, the core issue here of the pilot expectations. And that was disappointing, I think, to me to hear that maybe that same level of research, uh, that same level of investigatory work had not been done. You know, it seems like it hasn't been done because, as I always say, on a lot of these things, and like you just hinted at, Joe, we're pitching straight down the plate. These are not unknown concepts. They're easily researched. They're easily investigated to, to determine what the impact should be. Instead of coming at them with, I think, kind of a, an older perspective that the company well, traditionally has, right? That's exactly right. I think it's about problem solving. And that's what we're trying to do here, just like we did during the height of the pandemic with the leave program. 
problem solving, coming up with new and innovative ideas to solve problems. And, and you can't do that when the people across the table are telling you no, because this is how we've always done it, or they don't understand something, or you know, we get mired down in a thousand what if questions. And so I, I think it it's you know problem solving. You got to get serious about it if you're going to be successful at it. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point about problem solving, constructive problem solving, that sort of thing. And again, to hit on one point that when we bring pilot concerns to them, you can't characterize anything as non-negotiable. It's we've identified a problem. We have to constructively find a way to problem solve through it. And I, I'll kind of turn to Chris here in a second on that. But I think, David, we may want to I want to revisit maybe what we just kind of touched on the problem solving that took place in terms of the pandemic leaves and that sort of thing. So remind me, we'll come back to that. OK, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, we strongly believe we get better results if we actually talk through things carefully, which is why we elected to propose private mediation. And I want to be clear there real quick on what we're talking about. This is a facilitated conversation with the company is essentially what we're doing. It's not arbitration and there's not a path to arbitration. This is optional on both sides. It's just somebody sitting down with us who's not either one of the parties and trying to work the process through to where we can work through the issues that are there on the table. So it is, as you guys have been saying for the last few minutes here, it's way past time to see results. We're eight years behind the industry. We've got all our work rules and scope proposals on the table. And now we need to see if there's a way to piece these together or if we're just principally opposed. Right. And again, this is just the first step of a much bigger plan, but that is exactly, it's designed to see if there is a path forward. And I think one of the things that I want to hit on that at least pilot feedback that I've gotten and some of the, the issues, questions that have been raised are misperceptions about what this process is and what it is not right around the, the use of the, the term mediator or mediation. And so maybe if you take a couple of seconds, Chris, and, and hit upon that and talk about what we, we do again, hope to achieve here. Yeah. So again, it's to see if there are paths to an agreement. So the bottom line is, is that the contract openers that we sent out November 2019, like you said, Will, are still what we're using as kind of our, you know, guiding principles to move this negotiation forward. And by the way, if you guys are looking for them, you can go find them on alaskapilots.org. Right on the front page there is a negotiating committee block. Click on that and get all the information on what we're using, again, to, to guide ourselves through negotiations. And in that, you told us that you expect a market contract and the main deficiencies are in scope and work rules. So all those things stay the same. None of that changes. And like you said earlier, Will, this isn't a give-take negotiation. What it is is working to solve these problems that you have identified and move this process forward. So right now, with all this stuff on the table, we've been trying to find ways to kind of piece it together and work it through. But uh, we haven't been able to... Uh, work with the company constructively yet to get through a lot of these issues. So again, this this uh, facilitator, this private mediator is there to, again, see if there's a process issue, which hopefully you can help us work through, or maybe we're just principally opposed. I hope that's not where we're at because it's clear that our contract is far behind the market. But if that's where we're at, that's not something where we go find the middle. That's a very important point that, you know, I think people often perceive mediation as being uh, that exactly, that somehow everybody has to give in order to find an agreement. This is just exploring 
where we are and what the path forward looks like. And, and we said this is the first part of a process. And, you know, the mediator cannot require us to do anything. I think that's important. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, the company's communications, they said that this third party isn't going to get us there, right? It's going to be the two parties. And that's going to uh, start with a company acknowledging the gap that we need to close to get there. And it's a little concerning because if the company feels they can't operate with a market contract, which is what we're looking for, right, is what we've identified, then there are much bigger issues with this company. And we've made it clear in previous podcasts and previous times that we're not going to subsidize management's inability to execute. So if they can't execute with a market contract, then there's another conversation that needs to be had. But the bottom line is this is your expectation and this is where we need to go. Yeah. And, you know, we've made that point, too, that they should have an interest in a market contract from a bigger picture perspective, too. This is a phase of hiring in this industry in which they're going to need to be able to attract, recruit and retain pilots. And I think all of us, when you fly with people, get that question about, is this contract going to come to market? Am I going to be comfortable staying here or should I start to take a look around? Should I start to shop my resume? Uh, it's not just hiring, you know, new entry pilots. It's, it's our, uh, the attrition is definitely upticked. And I think that they have a vested interest in a market contract that they've got to incorporate that into their decisions as they start to think towards the future, not just about a balance sheet. And I think, I think this, this CBA is important, not just for folks that, you know, are looking at their future, you know, the younger crowd. I think it's also important for the, uh, you know, the pilots that are nearing the end of their, their career, and this will likely be their last uh, CBA. And, and these guys are very concerned that their last years are, are not ones spent working harder than all their peers for less money, less, less quality of life, less job security. I think, this, uh, I think this is important to everyone all up and down the seniority list, and management needs to understand that. And they cannot, as they sometimes do, acknowledge that we are behind the industry with the CBA and then show up to negotiations without any expectation of making real changes. That's not how you solve problems. Yeah, and, and again, the goal here is to move this forward expeditiously. We're way past time. And when we look at the uh, RLA NMB negotiations, those things can take a long time occasionally. So we're not interested in stalling this and making this process last forever. This needs to move along. And that's why, again, we've engaged this facilitator's private mediator in order to hopefully move this forward more expeditiously. But, uh, you know, uh, just to be clear, and we've been clear with the company, if they can't figure this out and, and move forward constructively, then we're not going to make it comfortable for them just to drag their feet. Correct. Yeah. Like I said, part part of a, a plan that's underway. And I think since you touched on the NMB, that is one thing that if nothing else, it pays dividends in terms of being able to consolidate and galvanize the issues that are, are at hand. If nothing else, even though we have no appetite for that path at this time, because we're looking for expeditious resolution of pilot issues, it will pay dividends once we're able to establish essentially what the core issues are. I'd like to circle back to a point Chris made a few minutes ago. And Joe, I've heard you talk about this on a number of occasions as it relates to some of your past jobs. And that is this fallacy management tries to project that pilots need to give up or accept less so that the company can execute its business model. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, this place is just like mid Midwest, uh, you know, 
they had a very unique business model and they always told us we had to work for less or their business model wouldn't work. And it's like, then you have a flawed business model. Yeah, this company is not that much different than the way other airlines are run and nothing we're proposing is going to hinder their ability to run this airline. The company should not be using our contract as a competitive advantage. They need to pay us and give us provisions that are similar to our peers. And that's what our expectation is. And that's what we're continuing to press. Yeah, I, th I think throughout the history of the airline industry, you cannot point to a case where pilot wages were the determining factor in an airline success or failure. That ultimately happens from a solid business model and the ability to compete in a, on a level playing field. And I don't think it's this pilot group's job to work at a discount, work harder for less without job security so that management doesn't have to do their job, which is to get out there and run a, a competitive airline to seek out revenue streams. It's just, it's a, it's a weak argument. You need to work less so we can make more money. That's, that's just unacceptable. Right. And, and we've said that on previous podcasts, and I think it bears repeating because that seems to be a narrative that the company likes to put out again and again and again, is that we were able to do certain things because. And I think that the point you've made several times, Joe, which is that the company is going to move forward on a business plan based on their competitive needs and their strategic plan. And that doesn't involve whether or not they have a market rate contract for this pilot group. Yeah, and we have a vested interest in making sure the company is able to succeed. So I can promise you we took a look at that when we're putting all of our proposals together. But at the end of the day, this is your contract and you will vote on it. This is not, let me repeat, this is not going to arbitration. We are working to achieve your goals, but at the end of the day, your vote will decide whether or not this goes through. And have I told, as I've uh, told you before, what I would hope all of you would do is write down what's important to you right now at the beginning of this contract as we're working through this and then when it becomes time to vote pull the list out of your priorities and your goals and use that to inform your decision you know there's another example the company could look towards about how to mutually solve problems that benefit both pilots and the company and it's a little frustrating that that example occurred right here at alaska airlines only a year ago and of course, I'm talking about the EIL program and the early retirement programs that we created. And it may be worth reiterating how that all went down and what we're able to achieve. And Ronan, you were there. Let, let me bring you into this conversation. Yeah, thanks, David. And uh, thanks for bringing me in. So basically, the EIL program um, came about because of the fact that we were given a heads up that there was a downgrade bid coming which, as anybody who knows Section 24, will know that that downgrade bid leads to a furlough bid. And once you, you start that path, um, it's pretty much you know off to the races from there. We were given, just for the record, we were only given three hours notice before this bid was going to go out. Um, we had, Will made a phone call, and we managed to get an audience to present a program, which eventually became the EIL program. And myself, Chris Kruner, Will Swalbund, Will and uh, Scott Rubin, where um, we worked really, really hard that afternoon and into the following weeks to try and present a plan that would essentially avoid furlough, avoid downgrade, um, and get the company and get the pilots into a better position. And the, and the frustrating thing about it, David, is, and, and this is where I get really kind of annoyed with this narrative that's coming out, 
especially on Monday's email there. But what's really frustrating is when it's presented as you got to spend, you know, a year and a half away from work getting two thirds of your pay. That's offensive because that put the company into a great position. And the company knows as well as we do that their ability to get through the past year and a half and have pilots ready to go in their specific seats and bases that they could recall by seat and base, not even a straight seniority, was a massive advantage to them. I mean, you look at American Airlines, they furloughed. And, you know, and they're having problems restaffing right now because of the fact that they did a furlough, which causes a bump and flush, which causes a massive amount of training. Alaska Airlines didn't have that. The only training that they had to do was training that they voluntarily wanted to do. So the success of the program, the amount of money that was saved to the company, the advantage that they had coming out of this pandemic, you know, they haven't really, other than bidding snafus, they haven't had any staffing issues for the past six months on the pilot side. So I find that very, very frustrating. That that really hit home with me, the way that that was presented in the email uh, that came out this week. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And don't forget also the 137 pilots that took an early retirement. Right. It was it was millions upon millions saved. And to present that like it was a protection for pilots, granted it was. It was great to see pilots. I, I mean, I, I want to see pilots not furloughed and downgraded. That was ultimately Alpha's goal. And we worked, I mean, there was nights that myself and um, Will McQuillan, Scott, Chris, we're working until the wee hours of the morning to try and get that program across the line. But it was a they didn't they they got a massive advantage out of that. You know, and this is also too might I remind you that this is a period too when the payroll support program was in full effect. So you know, I I kind of I, I call I raise a flag here on this one and call foul when that was presented that guys were sitting home for a year and a half on two thirds of their pay. Well, that's right. And part of the PSP, you know, meant that the government was paying those salaries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They've tried to turn it into something to where, oh, yeah, you guys, you know, you got this great deal. Yeah. And so did you, because you came out of this pandemic with less debt than you went into it. That only happened because of the efforts uh, of this union. Otherwise, this airline would be in a lot worse shape than it's in now. They would not only have lost tens of millions of dollars, they would operationally be a freaking disaster right now. Look how bad it is even now. Imagine if they'd have furloughed people. The arrogance, just the arrogance that that they don't recognize that and they come to the table and we're not even trying to solve problems anywhere near the enormity of what they were facing and that we helped them solve. And they're not interested in sitting down and discussing the problems that we have. And I think every pilot should be very angry about that. You know, another thing that bothers me that I've heard a number of times from management is when they construe these programs, it's as if they did it, that it, it was their idea that they're passing along. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess I want to put a finer point on what Ronan said. There was a path that was committed to that, but for Shane Tackett being willing to take a phone call and take a safety pause and have a conversation that we would have been committed to that would have looked very, very different. Flight ops management had a very different path and vision. So it is a little bit bothersome. So we've talked a lot about one of the things that came out of the MEC meeting, which was the private mediation. Ronan, that's not the only thing going on right now that, that your committee is working on. What, what else is, is happening now and what can the pilots expect? Absolutely. Um, thanks, David. Great question. So, yeah, that was, that was a great meeting. And we presented it. This was 
this was one tier of a multi-layered tier approach to getting this thing done. Um, it was presented to the MEC. It was approved unanimously, actually. And um, it is phase one. Uh, but we're not putting all our eggs in this basket. So we're hoping that this will work. We're hoping that this will uh, be a process that will get us across the line. But myself, Drew Coyle, and our committee, Strategic Com, being yourself and Tanya, um, are working very hard in the background, getting other parts of this um, plan ready to go. And that will get unveiled. And uh, the best, best thing that could happen to us is that it doesn't get unveiled. But unfortunately, I think it's, um, it's a possibility. So we want to keep going. We want to keep moving and get next pieces, next steps built and ready to go so that when they're, they're um, time for them to be used, they will be ready. I don't want to obviously share tactics because that's, that's just in good time that they will come out. But just rest assured that uh, your strategic planning committee and your strategic comm committee are, are all getting ready to, um, to continue on down to try and uh, get this thing across the line. Great, thanks Ronan. And Will, maybe you and I can talk about what we can start expecting from management. I, I mean, as we get a little bit closer to the nuts and bolts of the contract, I think that you're gonna start seeing more tactics coming from the company as well, right? Right, and I think you've already seen a little bit of that. Uh, you've heard me say numerous times, and I will stick to that message, that unity is so critical, that this pilot group has been unified through some really tough times, and now more than ever is the time that we have to stay unified. Uh, we've already seen a couple of kind of distractions, if you will, um, entered into like the, the sick leave letter, or we've seen letters that called into question the professionalism of, of the pilot group. And then, you know, certainly we've seen distractions in and around how they've handled some of the, the issues about uh, the COVID vaccinations, right? And all of these distractions are just that. They're distractions that are going to keep pilots focused on something other than what's very, very important right now, which is getting a CBA that they need, deserve, and is long overdue. So I, I know that you've been the comm chairman through a couple of negotiating cycles, and you can kind of speak to kind of, if you will, this playbook that I think we can anticipate seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would expect you'll see a lot of hand-wringing from management that we, you know, oh my goodness, if, if we agree to the things that Alp is asking for, it's going to hurt our business plan. We're not gonna be able to go, and they will for sure I believe construe this as bad for pilots that what 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 alpa is seeking is going to slow upgrades um, affect growth make it difficult for pilots to to really live the life that they want to they they will it, it will be in management's favor to uh, make themselves look like the saviors of the pilot group that's the point that i was trying to make earlier david with we already saw that in this week we already saw them trying to inoculate the pilots that, but for we did this over the past year, we wouldn't be in the position that we are now. And that's just simply not true. Yeah, I think this is a very common theme, you know, with this management group is that uh, do what we want and there'll be growth and wonderful things and, and don't do what we want and be afraid. And this is, you know, they, they always try to negotiate with, with the pilots and, and circumvent the MEC. Of course, we know that's not going to work. This is a very unified pilot group. They they listen to us. They interact with us. We have a constant feedback loop. So it's it's really a waste of time on management's part, but that won't keep them from uh, from doing it. And, you know, we certainly, we've seen this before back during the JCBA. Uh, we were told there was going to be 8% growth, 8% growth, 8% growth. 
And then we had an arbitrated decision and growth was ratcheted immediately back to 2%. So we've seen it before. You know, when they put out emails like the email that we, we saw uh, come out on Monday, um, that is an attempt to instill fear in people and, and change the narrative, rewrite history. But this pilot group knows who they can get reliable information from, and it's their MEC. Right. And, and I'll, I'll jump on that, that, you know, they can certainly and the company will tell their story. But the important point here is that the story that we tell is the pilot story. We we are the ones with the feedback, the polling data and everything that we've received good grief over the course of two years from this pilot group that clearly indicate where your interests are. And that's the only thing that we advocate for when it comes to that. As far as communications go, we're going to be transparent and we're going to be direct. And there is no sales pitch. This MEC has no desire to, to somehow have a sales pitch incorporated into our messaging. If you have not heard from us about a certain topic or some things that the company seems to want to be transparent about suddenly in their communications, it's because it hasn't met your expectations. There is no news to report. We are short of the goal. And I think that that's kind of important to recognize it for what it is and to stay in, engaged with your reps, because if you need further information or you want to know why haven't we heard more on this topic, talk talk to your reps. Your reps are setting direction and your negotiating committee is executing on that with nothing other than the, the yardstick that you've set forth in that opener. So ultimately, these contract negotiations are a group effort. What can the pilots be doing right now? That's a great question, David. It's one that I frequently get. The main thing that people can be doing right now is just stay very, very focused in, in these uh, Unity event activities. Um, the West Coast Cookout Tour be drawn to a close here, probably late September, maybe you know, get a few more events in in early October. But it's important that you get out. We're going to be starting coffee sits up again, getting back out to the airports and uh, meeting with you guys to have them direct one-on-one -on -one conversations. The, the information is it's so critical. It's a two-way street. We need to hear from you. And we need to hear from all the pilots and to make sure that uh, there's a complete understanding of where we're going and why we're doing what we're doing. Obviously, there's the stuff that we've been asking you guys to do for months and years, actually, which is like where you're lanyard, where you're paying with pride. And there's also new scope luggage tags that are out there. Make sure that you're uh, getting that stuff. If you're not getting them, reach out to a P2P rep, reach out to me, reach out to your own base rep and just request them. We'll make sure that they're left for you or we'll, we'll get them to you somehow. Joe, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or? That's all good. And I think it's important to talk about it. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your neighbors. You know, the quality of life here is a real problem. It's especially noticeable for, for pilots who commute. When you're working two or three extra days than your peers, when you're flying schedules that are starting early and finishing late, you know, when it's difficult to trade trips, when it's difficult to get time off for important life events, these all are very impactful to people's lives. And and it's important to remember that it's it's not just a group of pilots, it's a group of families. Virtually every pilot has a family that's affected by these work rules and inflexibility as well. And it matters. It matters. These things matter and they need to be fixed. And, and pilots should talk about it. Yeah, and I'm going to put a point on that, too, and say that the conversation, as you recall in that meeting, was one that I, a uh, point that I made. 
is that these conversations don't require embellishment. They're black and white. They're in the contract comparison, right? It's as simple as saying, look at what my contract provides compared to a contract with my peers. And I think having those conversations and, and to some degree making sure that others are aware of why it is that you're gone so much or why it is that you're so frustrated at work. I mean, those are, those are important conversations to have, not just at home, but also with a, a broader audience. You know, Joe, I think you kind of bring up a, a good point, which is that conversations are kind of the key to understanding. And they're certainly the key to how we move forward, right? The, the conversations that we have as an officer group, as a volunteer group, every day, exchanging ideas, concepts, arguing with one another are exactly why we stay aligned and I think have the, the pilot's goals clearly in our gun sites. But that's also what's gotten this pilot group through like the JCBA and some of the other challenges that we faced. And so maybe, David, in, in closing, I'd say that that's an important piece, that we need to keep the conversations going. You know, when you're on the flight deck, also with your reps, obviously, and, and stay engaged, but exchange ideas, talk to one another. When you fly with someone who isn't engaged, by the way, I mean, this is the opportunity. Share this podcast, share the contract comparison, right? Also available, alaskapilots.org, right? And help them understand that this is a team effort. And that this isn't a situation in which anybody rides for free. Pilots who want the contract that you expect and that you deserve, we all have an obligation to participate in that process. And we need to stay informed and be active in supporting the negotiations process and especially your negotiating committee. That's right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to the rest of you for coming in today. Before I draw this to a close, I'd like to let everyone know that in the show notes, I've provided links to a couple of the topics that came up today. The first is the contract opening document that Chris spoke of. So there's a link to it, but you can always find that on the negotiating committee page of alaskapilots.org. The second item is the video we produced that talked about the EIL program that allowed the company, or at least helped the company weather the storm of COVID and be as nimble as it is in the recovery that Ronan and Joe talked about earlier in this episode. And with that, we'll draw it to a close. I'd like to thank all of the pilots that are listening. And I'd also tonight like to thank the people who may not be pilots, but who are interested in what's going on behind the curtain, so to speak, at Alaska Airlines. Your participation in the audience is particularly helpful, and I'd like to extend a, a special thank you to you. Well, you've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell.